0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of the God Cells Podcast. I'm Eric Marola. I've spent the last decade reporting on different disruptive scientific innovations within the world of medicine. Change is the only constant in this world, and when an innovation like fetal stem cell therapy is poised to change the face of medicine, I make it my job to be there and report on it. The God Cells is my fourth documentary in this journey with a sequel currently in the making. You can check out this and my other documentaries at ericmarola.com. In February of 2019, I was in Kiev, Ukraine, again, continuing my work on the God Cells sequel and following other American patients who received fetal stem cell therapy. I will include some of this in future episodes, but for this episode, I wanted to bring you the audio version of my lecture from January 25th, 2019. In New York, the Real Truth About Health Conference held annually had been inviting me since its inception to speak at their conference, But each year, my schedule had conflicted with their dates. But this year, I was able to participate. Since most of the world knows my work due to my first documentary, Berzinski Cancer is Serious Business, that was the subject they always asked me to talk about. But this time, I politely requested, I'm happy to give a lecture at your conference, but I would prefer that it would be exclusively focused on fetal stem cell therapy they agreed. It was an exciting and successful lecture, as not only am I the first journalist to cover this subject to such an extent, but at least to my knowledge, I'm the first person in the world to stand on a public stage for more than an hour lecturing on the subject. I will admit the video version of this lecture is more effective and can easily be found on YouTube. Just search for fetal stem cell lecture to instantly locate it. I wanted to make a podcast version of this lecture for those on the go who wish to listen to it in podcast audio form. As always, if you are interested in seeking this therapy or just want to ask me some questions about it, it is my favorite thing to talk about. Don't be shy. Email me at eric at ericmerola.com. That's E-R-I-C at E-R-I-C-M-E-R-O-L-A dot I hope you enjoy the lecture. Our next lecture is going to be from Eric
1: Marola, The God Cells, A Fetal Stem Cell Journey. Eric Marola is an internationally award winning documentary filmmaker. For the last decade, Eric has directed and produced four documentaries exploring disruptive scientific technologies in the space of medical research. Marola's first documentary, Brzezinski, Cancer is Serious Business 2010, was an international success seen by tens. Of millions of people worldwide. This project was also presented on Netflix, PBS, the Documentary Channel, and various international t- television outlets. The positive reception of the Brzezinski story led Marola to produce its sequel, Brzezinski Cancer is Serious Business Part 2, 2013. Marola's third documentary, Second Opinion, Lateral at Sloan Catering 2014, tells the story of Ralph W. Morse, PhD, who blew the whistle on the successful lateral studies conducted for five years at Sloan Catering Cancer Center in New York City in the 1970s. Today, Eric Morola is most passionate about fetal stem cell therapy, where he has spent the last four years researching and releasing his most recent documentary, The God Cells, a fetal stem cell journey Marola continues to follow new patients who seek fetal stem cell treatment and share their stories. Marola feels that fetal stem cells could be the most disruptive technology he's discovered in the medical research research space, potentially replacing nearly every pharmaceutical medication on the market. I am proud to have with us and introduce Eric
0: Marola. Thank you, Steve. Hello. Everybody can hear me Okay. I want to let you know that I brought a free copy of this documentary. Um, It's on the end of the table in a postcard. You're welcome to take one. There's a little sign that says free DVDs. Um, This is really exciting for me because I'm the first person to ever stand on a stage like this and talk about this subject matter at such length. And I'm also the first person to have ever done a documentary, no less devoted, like a series of documentaries about this subject matter. So what you're seeing today is somewhat an exclusive first time ever. The reason being is because this is fetal stem cell therapy. It is probably the most misunderstood, controversial, and contested therapy out there in regards to the world of stem cells. You can try to Google search it. You can, watch, you can read all the books you want about stem cells. You can watch all the documentaries you want about stem cells. You will notice they will conveniently skip over the subject of fetal stem cell therapy. And even researchers in the United States that are researching it, it's not being done on humans except for the handful of clinical trials in the US. Even those guys are afraid to talk about this publicly. So as you can imagine, as you heard Stephen say, I spent the last decade of my life covering different disruptive, exciting medical technologies. This is sort of the holy grail of them all. You have something that competes with very fierce market forces. And of course, you add to it the very divisive and polarizing fact that these things come from, yes, they come from abortions. There's 50 million abortions every year worldwide. As I stand here today for the next 90 minutes, there will be about close to 9,000 fetuses aborted around the world as I stand here and talk to you. Fetuses are an overwhelming abundance. I often get. People are killing babies on purpose. People are getting pregnant on purpose to contribute fetal tissue. No, they're not. If, even if we harnessed all of the human's resources to try to harvest every fetus available, we couldn't do it. It's just, it's just an overabundance of them. And I'll get into more of that later. But what's interesting about this, I'll say one more thing about how controversial it is, like, and how frustrating it is as a journalist, You know, if you watched a documentary on, say, transportation or read a book on the history of transportation, Imagine them leaving out the automobile or the airplane. And it's kind of similar. And if you, hopefully at the end of this talk, you'll come to the conclusion like I have that fetal stem cell therapy in regards to stem cells is sort of like the Rolls Royce in the parking lot surrounded by horse and buggies that no one can see. <laughs> it's fascinating. So basically, let's go to the next one here. This me, Stephen did a great introduction. Um, you're welcome to, I'll, I'll be around later to you know, talk to you. But I want to kind of tell you how I got here. Steven actually did a great job. So you kind of already heard it. But basically, when I released my first movie, Brzezinski, cancer is Cancer a Serious Business? I was very young and naive in the sense of, in this space. It was in 2009, Brzezinski's head of finance, who was in charge of raising money for his final phase of FDA testing, happened to be college buddies with David Axelrod, the newly elected President Obama. And he was his chief of, sorry, college buddies David Axelrod, who was his chief of staff and chief architect. I was, he said, I'm going to meet Axelrod next week. Give me your movie, whatever form it's in. Great, I did. And this is what Axelrod said. This is very important, but it's just too big. Maybe in 10 years we can face this issue. Not now, too big. And he even alluded, again, this is off the record, candid, college buddy to college buddy, that all the banks just failed last year. Can you imagine what this would do to the market if we released this therapy to the market? that is just cancer. What I'm going to talk to you about today is bigger than that. Cancer, I did the math, I and mean, we all have someone in this, uh, in this room who either has dealt with it or knows someone that has. There's 15 million Americans living with cancer right now. On average, lowball, ball, quarter of a million dollars per cancer patient. Medicare, Medicaid, insurance covers it. Generally, the lowball, the average, that is close to $4 trillion of revenue. That is bigger than the GDP of many countries, small countries. So as you can imagine, this is kind of why I'm so excited about this. All right, so moving quite along. I um, did a sequel to Brzezinski because I was in a great position. Cancer patients were emailing me. I said, look, I'm not a doctor, but if you want to go see this doctor and, and be treated, I followed patients. Everybody I followed were terminal brain cancer patients. They were all supposed to die, told to get their things in order. Half of them lived, half of them died. That was my second movie. Third movie was the whistleblower story about how one of the public relations guys at Sloan Kettering. Um, did not allow the uh, total cover-up of their Laetrile studies for five years. Um, By the way, I'm sure many of you have heard of it, eating apricot pits is not the same as the injectable form that they were using on mice. Double-blind mouse studies, 80 percent of the cancer was uh, kept from spreading. Which led me into finally, in 2014, I started this project. Like many documentary filmmakers, you get emails all the time, oh, you should do a documentary about this, you should do a documentary about that, I get it all the time. And I kept getting kind of badgered about this subject, and I didn't really know a lot about it. I spent a good year just researching it before I really went full force into it, and what I'm about to go full force into with you today. So going back to how confusing the subject is of fetal stem cells, how most people decide to usually choose that they almost don't exist, you look at cover of Time Magazine, August 2001, Dr. James Thompson, the man who brought you stem cells. Well, going back to what I was saying, what this should say is the man that brought you embryonic stem cells. We've been using stem cells since the 1970s with a bone marrow transplant. This man discovered the first embryonic stem cell. This is a five-day-old blastocyst grown in a lab, putting sperm and an egg together, five days old, petri dish laboratory. What I'm talking to you about today is a fetal stem cell harvested at the end of the first trimester from a voluntary abortion Embryonic and fetal are constantly confused. You'll read some article about somebody getting a brain tumor from fetal. It wasn't fetal, it was embryonic. Because one of the defining traits, oh, by the way, I contacted this guy because I couldn't find any fetal stem cell experts in the United States that had done it with people. And I'll get into that more later. And at least he was honest. I asked him, will you be in my movie about fetal stem cells? After all, you're the man that brought us stem cells. And he said, there's his email, sorry, but this is outside of my area of expertise. I really have to give them respect for being honest about not understanding fetal stem cells being the man that brought you stem cells. So let me just give you a quick stem cell lesson. You know, basically, they are rejuvenating cells. You cut your hand. The stem cells come out of dormancy. They repair your hand. Some people say you wouldn't live an hour without your own stem cells coming out of dormancy and helping you. So as you can imagine, harnessing this idea for a therapy, as we all know about today, is not a bad idea. It's a great idea. The most popular is adult stem cells, where they take it from your fat or your bone marrow, they wake them them up, they give them back to you. Many sports athletes get them, many of you in this room might know someone that has had adult stem cell therapy. There are hundreds of clinics around the United States doing this. But there are big limitations with this, and one of the big limitations is they're very, very difficult to isolate. There's very small quantities of them, and you're as old as they're as old as you are i'm 46 years old if i got adult stem cell therapy they're going to be taking out 46 year old stem cells from me with all the dna damage from sunlight flying on airplanes and all the radiation damage etc waking them up and giving them back to me but more importantly than all of that there's no scientific evidence that an adult stem cell taken from your blood or your bone marrow will transform into say a neuronal cell a brain cell or always definitely transform into a heart cell. When you get stem cell therapy, if you have a heart condition and you undergo adult stem cells, you're hoping that they will help your heart. They have to become heart tissue. It's a very difficult task. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with this therapy, but the limitations, its ability is very limited. We've all heard of umbilical cord stem cells. Many people that have children will bank them now. I'm sure you've probably heard of this where in case later in life, um, if there's the kid ends up with a disease or whatever, they can harness the original umbilical cord cells. By the way, if you have done this, they don't, you don't own these cells. The FDA considers them a drug, and the technology is not caught up to where you can have access to them. In my documentary, I have a woman who was very frustrated because she found out that only three people in the country have had access to their own child's umbilical cord cells. But umbilical cord cells, Are really not much different than adult cells, except they're nine months old and they're still from blood, just like your cells if you participated in adult stem cells. So the task is just the same. How hard is it for them to become a heart cell or a neuronal cell or any kind of cell? There are more clinical trials being done in the US, and there's some like a clinic in Panama that's doing that's got good results. I'm not saying it's a bad option, I'm just explaining to you the limitations that they have. So, what was interesting, this was just a month ago. In the New York Times, 12 people hospitalized from using umbilical cord cells. And it's honestly, it was laziness, probably on the part of the scientists, not correctly, um, you know, testing the cells for any sort of uh, diseases or bacteria, but the thing about umbilical is also that part of the body in the process, that's where the digested food comes through, that's where the feces, feces goes out of, a lot of the toxins concentrate in that area. And these people got sick because of fecal matter and E. coli in the cells. I'm not trying to scare any of you about umbilical. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying that this kind of thing happens a lot um, in the kind of the wild west of stem cells that's going on right now, especially in the US. Amniotic, not stem cells at all. There's plenty of clinics that offer them. It should be called amniotic product. They're freeze dried, dead cells, not live. I'm just trying to give you an overview of the space that we're in. Now, embryonic again, I just want to say again, this is a five-day-old blastocyst. It's not what I'm talking about today. The most important thing about embryonic is, going back to what I said earlier, they do cause tumors, unfortunately, because it's a five-day-old blastocyst. No no organs have been formed. This thing is a Wild West cell that could do just about anything. So one of its defining traits, this is in PubMed, and you can find it everywhere, is they create non-cancerous tumors called teratomas. Very awful things can grow inside of you from this and it's clearly a frightening one for anyone that hopes to have therapy from these cells. There are places in the world you can get it. Some people have had good results. Not saying everyone is gonna get it, but it's not the most ideal. Now, all that being said, the only people on Earth that have mastered fetal stem cells are in Ukraine, and I'm gonna explain how it came to be. Their clinic is called M-cell, embryonic cell, just to add to the confusion, and the reason for that is in many cultures, there simply is no vocabulary word for fetal. You can go to Google Translate and try to do it. Ukrainian to American, fetal, embryonic, embryonic, fetal, many cultures. So you look at their certificates, it says embryonic cell, embryonic cell, of all the regulatory certificates they received, and people will go, oh my god, I thought those caused cancer. No, they're using fetal, but different culture. I know it's confusing, I promise I'll get in a more linear fashion, but I just want to try to give you an overview of how convoluted the space is before I focus on fetal. One more time, not embryonic I'm talking about. I'm talking about fetal. Seven to 12 weeks, not five days. All right, here we go. I'm gonna talk about how this came to be. You're like, okay, well, who would have thought of doing such a thing? The reason that fetal was even thought about as a therapy, other than the fact that stem cells in general, harnessing them is a great idea for regenerative medicine and to help you know rebuild your body and do preventative medicine, etc., cetera. Long before MSL, long before even the bone marrow transplant, scientists have always known that women pregnant. During pregnancy, those cells will leave the womb, particularly at the end of the first trimester, travel around the mother. Women with congenital heart defects have been fixed during pregnancy. They, will, they have been found in the hearts and the brains. And these are recent headlines, by the way, in the last couple of years. But they've known about this for a long time. Here's even USA Today. Gordy Howe ended up getting fetal stem cells from a clinic uh, down in Tijuana. But that's a whole other story. And it wasn't quite the same in what I'm talking about today. but So it, the news was buzzing about it for a short period of time. Liver cells from the fetus will go into the mother and repair her damaged liver. This has been known for a while. So as you can imagine, it was, it, a big light bulb moment came off of these scientists. How do we harness this? This is uh, right out of PubMed. Fetal cells migrate to the mother during pregnancy. They can persist for decades. Fetal cells also appear to target sites of injury, crossing both the placental and blood brain barriers. And this is also fascinating, um, because you'll meet some patients in my presentation who had the therapy more than once. The mother's body accumulates cells from each baby. And the next pregnancy, those cells will contribute both to the mother and combine as two families to continue helping the mother, and even, if necessary, aid in the new pregnancy. These are the two men that were the original co-founders of this on planet Earth, basically. The man standing behind the desk, Dr. Alexander Smigadup, with a white coat, he had been working on this in the 70s, using mice, uh, any sort of mammal you can think of. Into the 80s, he started honing more into on the human side when he met Dr. Alexei Karpenko. Dr. Alexei Karpenko comes from a long line of sort of revolutionary medical uh, pioneers of the region, both in the Russian region and Ukraine. This is their clinic today, MSL. So how does it happen? So basically socialized medicine in the country of Ukraine, a lot of free abortion clinics. If a woman is going to have an abortion, it has to be seven to 12 weeks. That is sort of like the sweet spot when it comes to non-DNA matching problems, no, no rejection of the body. It's sort of the sweet spot again discovered during the pregnancy process when those cells leave and help the mom. So the, the person is asked, you want to throw these away or would you like to donate them to science? If the donor wants to donate them, the donor is then tested for all bacterial infections, all viral infections, HIV, everything you can think of. If she passes the test, they will take the fetal material. It is immediately sent to MSL's biotechnology laboratory. There I am, i was actually one of the few people in the public that is not a scientist. That, that they, I, like took me six months to convince them to let me get in that lab. And, I, and it took me longer than that to let me even do the movie with them. <laughs> so uh, as you can imagine, you know, especially some American member of the media, and I'll get into it later, they're later, they don't need any more publicity. They're doing just fine. They'd rather continue on with their science and not have any earthquakes around them. So, anyway, there I am going into the lab. This is basically like sort of the short list of what they um, extract from the fetus. They basically take all pieces of all the organ systems of the fetus. And again, everybody wants to know are they clean? How do we know they're safe? They have a research and development side that takes care of whether or not they're viable. So they, while they don't believe in replicating the cells, they don't believe in making copies of them to avoid the abortion, they feel that having them straight from the abortion process and not manipulating them beyond that is the best way. But they will make, see if they grow to see if they're viable, to see if they will grow new families. That's the research and development. Microbiology is all bacteria you can think of, polymerase chain reactions to make sure there's no viral contamination. And I will say, you might ask, why am I focusing on this company or this clinic or these group of scientists? Because they're simply the only place on earth this is being done to this caliber. I'm not trying to promote them. They just happen to be the only place out there. It's not legal in any other country on earth. And I'll get into more of that later in the talk. They have some of the latest, most some of the best equipment you find in the U.S. regarding sorting the stem cells, testing them. They have it in their facility. I thought nothing would be more appropriate than to show you the very first patient they ever treated. So when they finally kind of figured out the regulatory framework to allow this to be like, approved, they worked with the Ukraine Ministry of Health. In fact, the Ukraine Ministry of Health was very much a part of making sure they came to be. This was not a clinic back in the 80s, in the early 90s. They were in a state hospital in one room. And they found a kid about the age of that kid uh, in the middle that kid today is the man on the right. They found a kid who, whose parents had purchased milk from a radiated milk farm due to Chernobyl. It was right around that time period. He was suffering from bone marrow failure, or aplastic anemia. He was living off of blood transfusions, and he was waiting for a bone marrow transplant. As you can imagine, the parents were very desperate. Those two men I showed you earlier approached his parents and said, we want to inject your child with something that we're working on. And they explained it was liver cells. And the parents really didn't understand it. They said, sure. They gave this man, once a child, about seven years old, who was waiting for a bone marrow transplant to just live, living off of blood transfusions. He was given the death sentence. Two rounds of only fetal liver cells, not the whole thing, just the liver cells, cured him of aplastic anemia. He's still alive today. He's never had any therapy whatsoever since those days. And the reason why the liver, what's so fascinating about this therapy is, at the time of gestation, end of first trimester, the bone marrow and the whole body's immune and like blood system is just being formed. And all of that good ingredients to make that is in the liver. So the liver fetal stem cells are one of the most powerful parts of this whole soup that this therapy consists of. I was on in the movie, I was on Skype with him and his parents. He's in Switzerland, his parents in the Ukraine. There I am with Alexi, the co-founder of the clinic and co-inventor, which is also fascinating. It wasn't until my movie and I was on Skype that did the parents even know what they injected their child. They didn't fully understand it until I made the movie and included them in it. And there he is again on Skype. All right, so that's me. And one thing to do the movies I've done that cover these topics, and it's another to be a participant. And I've had fetal stem cell therapy three times. I'm going to get it my fourth time this year. So you might ask me why. What's wrong with you, Eric? Nothing. Fetal stem cell therapy on just the health side is one of the most rejuvenating, exciting, preventative, almost cheating mother nature things you can do. Um, So, and I honestly, I didn't set out to be a patient, but I kept meeting all these other people that were like busy professionals like me that would get it. And um, they were telling me how their lives improved, they're more productive, you name it. I honestly started getting jealous and I just had this sort of light bulb moment. My God, I'm putting myself in this movie. I'm gonna get this myself. So going to kind of give you the overview of what happens to you at this clinic if you get fetal stem cell therapy. It's personalized medicine. Not everyone's treated the same. It's not much like most therapies where, you know, okay, you have this ailment, turn the page, blah, 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 you get this. Every patient that goes there, they, they want to see your uh, medical data before you go. And then they'll do their own, batter, own battery of testing on you before they start. So I'm, so even though this is me, if you have Parkinson's, you have a child with autism, or whatever reason that you, someone wants to go there, it's, I'm giving you this because it's kind of similar in, in the way it's all laid out. On day one, they gave me an ultrasound of my abdomen and thyroid, wanted to make sure things were going OK with that a huge blood and urine panel, uh, ECG, all of that. And from that, they compare that data they've done in their own lab with the data that I've submitted to them. And then then after that's done, they kind of have a meeting with me and they tell me what they're going to do over the next three days. And I'm there for, most patients are there for two to three days. It's like a work day, six to eight hours a day some days. So they kind of lay it out for me. Um, The cells, there's basically two places of injection. The liver cells and the more immune cells are given in the bloodstream. The more neuronal related or hormonal cells are given in the fat around the abdomen. That keeps the best body temperature. All the years of doing this, they found that they release in a more controlled manner in the fat around the abdomen, the subcutaneous injections. My goals for day one when they explain to me, and this goes for every patient, even if you're going there for Parkinson's or MS or, or whatever, a stroke or you had a heart attack, It's the, the cells kind of, will treat each patient the same. So again, why I'm talking about myself so much here. What's the most fascinating thing about this is they will grow new blood vessels, new capillaries. So someone is older, you can imagine how beneficial that is. And I'll get into my father later with his type 2 diabetes. And if it wasn't for this, I don't think he would have had such an improvement. So they kind of explain this to you. You're going to have better um, you know, circulation. You're going to have better liver function, for many of the things I talked about. Of course, you're going to have a better immune system and bone marrow um, you know, on the first day. So they, they categorize the cells on the first day with these goals in mind. On day two, they kind of focus on both your digestion as well as your sort of memory and neurological side of you. And on day three, they work on more of the muscle and the cartilage and the tendons. And interesting enough, at this bottom, the bottom, sexual functions, everybody gets older, You know, our libido drops. We're not 18 years old. Um, you know, but one of the first things that I noticed if they, they sort of kicked in, it was like the Beto just exploded. I was just like, what is happening? Um, again, that's not why I, I go get the therapy, but it just it lets, you know, it lets you know that something is happening to you. you know? So again, this is sort of like a short list of things that I've noticed. My ability to focus and calculate. What's also fascinating about this therapy, again, if you're going for a devastating ailment, these things will happen to you anyway. You know how you get frustrated, and you're having a bad day, and maybe you get an email that's really just really irritates you, and you don't think about it, and you shoot back a crappy response, and you, the next day, you go, oh my god, I really should have thought on that. I started doing that for the first time, and the cells kicked in. I started handling the highest stress moments with clarity, like I had been a Zen master for like the last 10 years, like I, I've been studying transcendental meditation. Like it was the most bizarre thing to go through, what they do to you psychologically. And like sort of this leveling out and this confidence that you feel is fascinating. Um, obviously, like blood work just normalized. Like all of us, we have, always have something kind of out of whack. Everything went right in line. Didn't change my lifestyle, carried on the way I did. OK, this is really fascinating. This is really fascinating. This, I just got permission to talk about this two days ago. Now, one of the skeptical arguments, as we talked about earlier, is, oh, how do you know the body doesn't just kick the cells out? How do you know? Forget about the fact that we've known for decades that the cells will migrate to the mother and they'll say, oh, that's the mother's child. Of course, no, because that's a technically genetically different child. If that child is born and grows up, that does not mean that child can give that mother a kidney. It does not mean that there's a definite match. That is a genetically different human being inside the, the woman than the mother. So they said, how do we devise a test to prove that these cells remain in your system? And I'm a part of a study group. I'm a part of like a dozen people. They just started doing this uh, study group. And this is my telomere length, before and after therapy. I mean, most people know what telomeres are. They're sort of like the plastic sheath on a shoelace. And you're born, they're really strong. And as your shoelaces wear, they kind of fall apart. And your shoelace frays. And your telomeres are like the ends of your chromosomes. And how strong they are kind of dictates how well your cells can divide and your so for overall you know, vitality. A big misconception about telomeres is you see a lot of commercial telomere testing today where you get your telomeres measured and they say your biological age is this because you're born on this day, but your real age is this because of your telomeres. It's not necessarily true because there are infants with shorter telomeres than 50-year-olds. How does that work if that's true? So again, adding more to the convoluted nature of the space, I just want to make it understood that fetal stem cell therapy did not make my telomeres grow. What this study proves is the cells stated me. And the reason being is that at the top of the chart, that is August of 2017, i had already had my first round of cells in 2016 of the summer. A year passed. I was getting my second round of cells. I started participating in the study. My, and by the way, they use a flow, fish flow technology. It measures the telomere down to the white blood cell level. You can't go to life length or all these commercial places and get this kind of test. It's not, it's, not, it's not reliable. Um, in fact, I don't want to get down that road, but the commercial telomere testing is a whole other can of worms. This is the most accurate test you can do to measure your telomeres is the FlowFish method. 5.38 kb. So there, that was me after one round of cells before my second round, got round two. A year later, before my third round, look how they jumped up. And what this means is not that my telomeres grew. What it means is Those young, full-length, brand-new telomeres that were injected into me in the fetal stem cells mingled, duplicated, created families, and became a part of me to the point where they affected my telomere measurements. That's unbelievable. Again, the study is ongoing. I'm not saying this is finite. I'm in the middle of this, they're in the middle of it. Again, I had to convince them to let me talk about this and handle it properly, which is why I'm beating this dead horse. They don't make them grow. There's no proof that your telomeres are going to grow. But what this proves is, is that the full-length brand-new telomeres mingling with my 46-year-old are multiplying to such a degree that they have such a jump. And by the way, on average, the longest telomere length in people is 8.7. I'm jumping up to 7.23. It's really remarkable. I was right in the middle, in the middle of average, I'm way above average a year later. So I'm happy to answer questions about this later, but the point is, while it's not finished, they're going to have this peer-reviewed and published they are starting to be able to prove that these cells stay in you. Forget about the fact that people are doing great and people are walking around and they shouldn't be, and that's not enough because there's anecdotal evidence. How do we know it was the cells, we, for all the skeptical arguments about many of the things talked about in this conference. This proves it. They're in your system for at least a year. We'll see how that goes. If I'm here next year, I'll give you an update on where I'm at. All right, let's get into some of the diseases. Multiple sclerosis. This guy on the right is Lawrence. The guy on the left is his doctor. This guy's the doctor has been a doctor for 50 years. He's been Lawrence's doctor for 30 years. Lawrence was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2011. He needed canes. He needed help to stand. He needed help to move around. He had MRIs. One of the diagnostic tools of MS to convince uh, to say you have MS is like plaques on the brain on MRI. He didn't have one round of fetal stem cells. He had a few rounds over the course of many years. And every time, after like the second or third round, he no longer needed his canes. He's walking around like normal. And his doctor was completely dumbfounded, completely confused, didn't really know what to do. He was very jolly and very happy and very funny about it. But the expression in this photograph is this expression of the whole interview I had with him. And going back to what I was saying about no one understanding this, this therapy, it was easy for me to get into doctors because they're like, oh, stem cells, sure. Yeah, you yeah, have stem cells. Okay, I will talk to this Eric guy. They had no idea what they are getting themselves into. There's Lawrence, getting out of his car, walking around. But I want to emphasize, and I'll emphasize it many times, that this isn't some sort of magic bullet cure for anything. Stem cells regenerate. MS is a degenerative disease. So, like anything, caught early enough. He was not that early, but early enough. One year you get it, you see how you're doing. If you're one of the lucky ones, which is the majority, you feel you know, you're doing better, you're standing better, but you're not quite perfect. A year later, boom, round two. Going back to what I was showing you, how two pregnancies, the cells build on the next, same thing, they just keep building on the last round of cells. Going back to my telomere slide, they're still in me. When I get them again, they keep building. So they keep rebuilding, and they keep rebuilding, and in the case of Lawrence, he has, and he's going back again this year. Even though he feels great, he's just making it his annual thing. I mean, no one would, you would never know this man has MS. And by the way, when I made the film, I, uh, when, he, when the doctor talked about the plaques on the brain with the MRI, I said, ooh, Lawrence, you need to get an MRI. He said, well, OK. You know, he had to fiddle around with the insurance. He got it. Plaques has gone. Again, I'm not saying that it's every case of MS the plaques are going to go away. It happened with Lawrence. And everybody I'm showing you are people that I've met. These are people I've spent hours with. I'm only gonna to talk to you about people that I have a relationship with. I'm not gonna tell you about some story I heard about or whatever. And again, I can't emphasize enough, it doesn't mean everybody with MS is gonna turn out like Lawrence. All I can tell you is like, I saw Lawrence and I went through the journey with him and he's doing great. Okay, just quickly, this is uh, uh, MSL's sort of stats on MS. They've, since they've been around since the 90s, they've treated 270 MS patients. 83% of the cases have you know, improvements in everything that you see. I don't wanna read everything out. But all the usual things that go along with an MS patient. Muscular dystrophy. How many people have seen the Jerry Lewis telethons? All this money raised for wheelchairs and walkers. Not a cure, quite a remarkable therapy. This is Sophie, she's 11. She has ulric muscular dystrophy. This is a type of muscular dystrophy that's diagnosed shortly after birth. People her age, girls her age, boys her age, are on feeding tubes and respirators. They've had to have uh, rods sucking in their spines to keep their spines straight because it's such a severe type of muscular dystrophy. She's had it probably half of her life every year and she's doing fantastic. What's also fasc- fascinating is that it's one thing again you see this kid doing great she's not perfect I mean she still needs help moving around she can walk she still needs when we were in uh, Ukraine together and I was documenting her so they, they brought the motorized scooter so she can get around in a more speedy manner but if you study ulrich muscular dystrophy and look at any other child at the 11 to 12 month uh, year mark, she's like an anomaly. And there's no other reason other than the fetal stem cell therapy. But it's one thing to see her, and another thing to look at the measurable blood levels. One of the things about muscular dystrophy is creatinine levels. The lower they are, the more severe the disease, generally. It's kind of like a, a scale to measure how bad a child is. The higher they are, the milder the disease. When I, her last testing of this, her levels increased by 34% in less than a year and went right in a normal range. Again, she had had it for several years prior, but to give you an idea of where these things can take a child with muscular dystrophy. Creatine, or CPK, is another sort of measurable thing. If you look at any muscular dystrophy website, they talk about this stuff. It's one of the main, kind of like diabetes and blood sugar. These are some of the key levels that are involved with a kid with muscular dystrophy. The higher, uh, more severe the disease. Lower, the milder the disease. Her levels reduced by 43% one year after the last therapy. LDH is another one. Higher it is, the more severe, lower the milder. Her levels reduced by nearly half, 55% of her levels. These are measurable levels. And by the way, you can imagine how confused their neurologist is and their, their doctors. They just, they're so used to seeing kids in every year, every six months, just getting worse and worse. And they sit in that lobby with all these other kids the same age, and she's the only one doing well. So you can imagine. How challenging it is for the family and like trying to talk to people and you know that's it's a whole other hour and a half lecture about dealing with that side of, of what we're dealing with. There's, there's her today. I asked her to send this. This is like from a couple of weeks ago. Again, I'm constantly in touch with these people. Does that look like an 11 year old girl with muscular dystrophy? She does she can stand fine, she can walk around, but um, her spine is perfectly straight. Kids her age have rods in their spine. she's never had spine surgery. she's doing fantastic. It's very exciting. Muscular dystrophy stats with M cell. Uh, Since the 90s, they treated 300 kids, muscular dystrophy. 88% of them reporting improvements in all of this. By the way, you might ask, how do they get this? They haven't done clinical trials. All they can do to base their data is to stay in touch with the previous patients. And if you were there, you'd be honest. It's not working for me, or it's working for me. And they ask for blood work. They ask for data. They will badger you if you end up going there until you get them what they want, if you're nice enough to provide it for them. But That's their only way of collecting data, just for full transparency. There's no clinical trials for this. It's just what they've been doing for nearly 30 years. So by the way, since I'm on that note, do you know that only 25,000 people on planet Earth have even had this therapy? And I'm one of them, I've had it three times. That's how little people know about this. And that, they've been around for 30 years. So I guess it's a fascinating fun fact that you might say only 300 kids. That's huge compared. You know, they might treat 1,000 people a year um, from all over the world. Autism, we all are familiar with this. See how he's looking at the camera right in the eyes? Before therapy, after one round of therapy, he could not do that. His parents would say it was like he looked past you, like he was in his own world, just no eye contact. This kid was angry, ornery, biting his mother, smacking his mother. He could not walk with his mother to, like, to the store. She had to carry him everywhere. Anybody that has a parent with an autistic child knows how difficult that can be. Look at this child. Now, another thing, too, is um, going back to measurable results. An ADOS score, which is the Autism Diagnostic Observation schedule was sort of the gold standard of measuring the levels of autism and its spectrum. He went, before treatment, Adolf's score of 22, moderate to severe, to only a few months later, down to 17, to moderate, just a few months later. Again, eye contact, happy, not perfect. It's, there's no cure for autism that we're aware of. But the, the amount of pressure and relief from a parent dealing with an autistic child like that, to have these kinds of improvements is life-changing for people. As you can imagine, people that go get this therapy don't always want to be on camera. They don't want their identity for obvious reasons. There's another family from America that went that I, uh, I've gotten to know pretty well. Let's just call him Mike. Mike was uh, 12 years old in March of 2017, autistic child. I met him the, the trip he went there to get the therapy. He could only blurt out one word if, at best. Couldn't form a sentence as most autistic children are, they get angry because they can't express themselves. And honestly, the mother was kind of skeptical. She was quite skeptical, but she said, eh, what the hell, what does it hurt, right? She saw my movie, and we had to come into conversations and said, you know, not a doctor, not giving you advice, but if you want to go, you know, I'm going to actually be here at this time doing some more work, you know, following them. Oh, sure, she goes. And also what's interesting is, going back to what I said earlier about diseases, the longer you have it, the harder it is for the cells to push back. So if you're... Late stage Alzheimer's or late stage MS—that's a lot more work for these things to do. They're not going to just turn you around for one. But Mcel, treating a lot of autistic children, they said, "Ooh, he's 12. We've not seen good results in kids this old with autism. We do better, much younger in age. We've seen better results. We just want to be upfront with you—that don't expect a lot. He's 12. We will treat him, you know, because he qualifies. And there's might be—it's not going to hurt him. After 12 years old, at 12 years old." Three or four months after treatment, he's in the back seat back in America, mom's driving. He says, hey mom, turn up the radio, my favorite song. She almost crashed the car. He didn't say it as perfect as I did, but he said it. He put strings of words together and made a sentence and has been completing sentences ever since because of this. So the mother obviously went back a year later. March of 2018, they, had, they decided to do like um, an age equivalent kind of test. But the age equivalent of this 12 year old was three years, two months. At the end of March, he had the second round of therapy. By October, six months later, the raw score more than doubled. And he went from being a three-year-old to nearly a five-year-old in six months, based on the, the, the sort of testing process. And this, what this is, by the way, I copied and pasted this from a text I got from her from my phone. And she said, these are the latest scores after treatment. Therapist says it's absolutely unheard of. Thought you'd like to see it. Of course, I was very happy to see it. This, they've had a lot of experience with autism. But here's just a basic list. 83% of cases usually see all this long list of improvements. Even the gastrointestinal problems that autistic children have improves that even. So learning capability. What I was saying too about confidence with me and just sort of being more relaxed and just sort of more comfortable with my skin, not that I ever suffer from depression or anything, but imagine giving that to an autistic child. These are pretty smart kids, most of them. And they have insecurity complexes because of this. And it really helps with that as well. It does more than just, show improvement it does such so much more in the mind body experience when you get this therapy all right parkinsons this was taken last week this is carl um, carl this is a fun story he lives in southern california he owns his own skydiving company one of the biggest skydiving companies in the southwest of the us in february of about a year ago uh, last year i get this email hey i'm carl i'm leaving lax i got parkinsons i saw your movie i'm head to cell. I was like, wow, cool. Hey, Carl, nice to meet you via email. Please stay in touch. You know? So two or three months later, I, I stay in touch with him. He was like, I don't feel nothing. I don't feel nothing. Two or three months in, nothing. And by the way, he was like, I'm hunched over. I got bad gait, like many people with Parkinson's, the trembling, the normal, the normal symptoms. About three, three and a half months in, suddenly, he gets up in the morning. He's standing up straight. Trembling stops. But it would have, he would have these, he still does, he'd have these like six to eight to nine hours a day where all symptoms just disappear. Then he falls right off again. And he's like, Eric, it's more frustrating because at least when I wake up in the morning, I know I'm going to be hunched over, I know I'm going to be shaking, but now I don't, I can't even make plans. I don't know. Am I going to be okay today? But obviously he's not unhappy. But I finally, after much badgering, convinced him to let me cover this guy. So just last week, I went down to see him. And that's me on the left, obviously. Um, My wife uh, took the picture. um, And he's going to let me follow him. I'm going to be at MSL, by the way, at the end of February. And I'll tell you why. I'm working on a sequel to the movie, and I'll get into that. But Carl's going to be there with me. Um, Well, I'm going to be there at the same time. So I've got Carl's story here. I interviewed him in a great length. I'm going to follow him in Kyiv, Ukraine. And then since we're both living in Southern California, I'll I'll keep up with him. But it's interesting, because I wanted to include him, because he's like in the middle of it. you know. Parkinson's been living with it for a little while. He's like maybe in his early 50s. I think he's had it for five, six-ish years. But um, so yeah, it's a great story because he's, he's still kind of like figuring it out. You know? he's, having, he's not perfect, but we're hoping, obviously, that after the second round, maybe the you know, five to six hours a day will be longer. Maybe it'll go away completely for a while. But also what's interesting, guys, you've got to remember, will it stay away? Let's say it comes back and it all goes away. It could come back in a year or two. It is a pretty intense degenerative disease. Fetal stem cells aren't a magic bullet, but people, again, like Carl, will probably find himself going every year to make sure his Parkinson's stays away. Just, I mean, what a wonderful option to have. You know, at least we have the ability to go do this if we really have the means to do it. There's M-cell stats on Parkinson's. They've treated nearly 200 of them. 85% of the cases, they've seen this. I will say, I've met some people with late-stage Parkinson's that have not had improvements. It's very sad, it's very unfortunate. This is not happening to everybody. I'm not going to pretend that at all. But again, just showing you what I've seen. All right, this is Lee. Lee was a fan of my work back since when I made the Brzezinski documentary. She helped financially with some of the patients. She was always like an activist for Brzezinski, so we'd always kind of stayed in touch. And I did the God cells, and she saw it. And she went, "Oh my God, I'm going to Keith." And she's like, I've got. She's, you know, she's like, I got all these issues. I never knew any of these things. So, uh, there I am in Kiev. That's my picture of her in downtown Kiev, outside of the hotel. She has Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, arthritis, interstitial cystitis. If you don't know what that is, that's when your bladder blows up like a balloon and there's no urine in it, but you feel like you have to pee all the time. You have to urinate all the time. She had that, and of course, irritable bowel. Just a host of autoimmune problems. Aside from her feeling fantastic, one of the measurable things for Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism is your thyroglobulin antibodies. Anything less than one unit per milliliter is considered normal. She was off the charts in February 2017 at 392. Off the charts. She had two therapies. The first one knocked it way back. A year later, she did it again. After the second therapy, down to four. So again, aside from her feeling great, never been felt better. But again, it's a measurable change in her blood chemistry that these cells affected. There she is at MSL uh, with one of the nurses. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine with all these issues and having them all? She spent like $30,000 on on supplements and all this stuff out of pocket to deal with this before she saw a documentary and heard about this therapy. So she's obviously extremely excited. Um, Her irritable bowel went away. She's wearing high heels again for the first time. She's a very busy professional. She owns her own company. And uh, she's, you know, so what's interesting too is after the first round of cells, what happens to a lot of people, they go back to their old bad lifestyle because they feel so good. And so she just totally started eating fast food and like totally let everything go away. But she still was holding up pretty good. But um, anyway, but even through that, she's doing fantastic. This is my father. My father in his 70s, type two diabetes. Like many Americans who love their high fructose corn syrup sodas, love their white bread and their white pasta, and him being a red-blooded Italian, just uh, a poster child for type 2 diabetes. (laughs) I love him, but he just is. There he is, hilariously, wearing his Chernobyl shirt he bought in Ukraine when he was getting the therapy. I thought this was appropriate. But with him, uh, um, one of the biggest things we were afraid of with my father in type 2 was feet. He had no feeling in his toes. We'd hold a hot hair dryer to his toes. He couldn't feel it. Full heat. No, couldn't feel it. He went and. March of 2017 and within a month all of the feeling came back and he's been fine ever since, he hasn't gone back. So and he still doesn't live a perfect life, he stopped drinking the Pepsis and the sodas, still loves his white bread and his pasta, he's a single guy, you know you know so what I'm trying to get at is they still did their job um, even though he hasn't really taken perfect care of himself. So um, but he's still he's a great guy, he's really healthy and got a good energy and everything. I'm just trying to say is that I'm personally blown away that the numbness in the feet hasn't returned yet. And it's been over two years, only one round of therapy. So there's a lot of, again, I only want to talk about people that I've met. But with diabetes in general, all the things that go with it, these cells do remarkable things for. And again, what I said earlier about growing new capillaries and new blood vessels, that's one of the biggest reasons why he has feeling in his feet again, is because he has a whole bunch of new blood vessels down there that also are fighting against whatever goes on with numbness and eventual you know, loss of your feet if you let it go too long. Type 1 diabetes it has a good results with as well, but it's another challenging one. There are a handful of people that have gone off insulin, but it's not everybody. And it also is, uh, you have to, the, the patient has to be on top of this. If the patient does, isn't willing to make the lifestyle changes, M-cells therapy can only do so much. And I'm going to get in a little later about what they might be doing further with type 1. But in general, Type 1 and type 2 diabetes, this is a remarkable therapy for you. Not a magic bullet cure, but pretty darn remarkable what it can do in the rejuvenation and repair of the damage diabetes can do to you. All right, this is Danny with a blue shirt with her mother hugging her. I'm going to get into arthritis a little bit. Ankylosing spondylitis is in the arthritis family. Only 200,000 people a year in the US get this. This is very rare. This is when your cartilage and your vertebrae fuse together over time, and over time you eventually are hunched over with a curved broomstick for a spine. Incredibly painful as this unfolds, she was addicted to narcotics, fentanyl patches, high school kid, into college, just trying her best just to survive through this. Fetal stem cells, boom, a college rowing team, Like this, I'm not saying this to everybody, I've only met one patient with that's had ankylosing spondylitis. But She's had it twice, and she hasn't had it in a couple of years. She's doing great. She just got married. She's doing great. This it was OK. What's interesting, too, is what happens a lot with uh, this therapy I've seen, Danny desperately needed it. Family's not wealthy. They scrounged the money together to get this child this therapy, not even knowing if it would work. And so what happens is the child does great, and then the mom goes, I want this now. Grandma goes, I want this. Everybody they meet wants this now, just for whatever. So here's her mother at MCL getting it for anti-aging reasons, because she wanted to. But more importantly, her mother, and Dan- or Danny's grandmother, has severe rheumatoid arthritis, couldn't open jars, had trouble climbing stairs, etc., etc. et cetera. This is the grandmother getting uh, the fetal stem cell therapy in Ukraine. She can now open jars. And what's interesting, too, is some people have these crazy fast responses, like in a couple of days, while other people take some time. We went out to dinner a couple of nights later after her therapy was finished, and she kind of like briskly walked up the stairs in the hotel, and oh my god, I just can't believe what I just did. And um, so she's one of the lucky ones. I will say, as far as how fast it happened, rheumatoid arthritis, it's highly inflammatory. It's degenerative. Stem cells isn't going to permanently take care of it. But if you have severe rheumatoid arthritis, what I've seen, you get it, maybe a year goes by, two years, it starts creeping back. You get it again, keep pushing it back. Okay, this is not the most attractive picture in the world. I'm sorry, but this is a colonoscopy. Crohn's disease. This patient is from Canada. Um, Obviously the one on the top is July, one on the bottom is September. You can see how inflamed it is. And then of course in September, um, huge improvements in the colonoscopy images. It does really good things for anything digestive because I guess the way the intestines work and now there's a lot of regeneration there, kind of like the skin being our largest organ. And because you're getting intestinal related cells as well, harvested from the fetus, they just go to do their work on the, on the digestive system for the same reasons that it does good for autistic kids that have digestive problems, et cetera. This is sort of like the list of things that they have experienced treating. I won't harp on this too long. I, I kind of like to focus on people that I've met. All right, so I'm working on a sequel. And I wasn't sure if I was going to make a sequel to this movie um, until I found out what I'm about to tell you about. Um, I never really, when I make these movies, I never know what I'm going to do next. I kind of have to go on the journey myself. And kind of like Brzezinski, where I made the first one, and now I'm in. I'm in this world. And now I've got all these cancer patients coming at me. Should I get this? I don't know. If you want to go, that's your decision. I'll follow you. They, Mcell has cured male infertility. Not everybody, but they have a 30% cure rate in a study that they're conducting. This is a first in world history this has been done. I don't really need to read the stats we know, especially nowadays with environmental issues and everything under the sun. Infertility is going down uh, as a human race in general. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why men are infertile. There's three categories when it comes to why a man is infertile. It's not an easy thing to cure. You have one, it's not just the sperm count. People think, ah, dead sperm, low sperm count. No, it's much more complicated than that. Morphology is the shape of the sperm. You know, you see the blue one is normal. You have all sorts of head defects, and all kinds of defects can happen in the sperm. If they can't swim right, they can't make it to the egg. You have that challenge to overcome. Then you have their ability to move at all. The, um, the grade A on the left is you know, their ability to swim quickly in a straight line, make their way to the egg. This is sort of the sperm motility, excuse me. Motility is the definition for a single organism's ability to move, not quite mobility. But sometimes they swim you know, sideways, they just, they just don't know where to go. Sometimes they just follow their tails and swim in circles. That's a big, huge problem with sperm and infertility as well. And of course, you also have the, the one we you, you know, usually hear about, low sperm count. Those are three major things they had to fix. So it's not the same therapy that I got or other people get. It does consist of a similar thing, but they managed to harvest, and they've been working on this, by the way, for like seven years, until they finally started like, that. They OK, we offer this as a service. They have to actually take. The male reproductive organs at the time of gestation, with everything else, as well as some other stuff that related related to male, sort of reproductive, and they'd had to experiment and experiment, and so not only are you getting the cells in the arm and in you know the fat in the abdomen, you're getting ins- injections in the testicles. It's a little more invasive, but what's also fascinating is, for this study and for my sequel that I'm going to hopefully follow some American men, ideally, is. These men have failed three years of every fertility treatment available to them under commercial fertility treatments. They have failed and have given up. And obviously, you know, they're not going to want to do a fit clinical trial, nor do I want to do a movie separately on this, unless we can prove that these people have failed at all. I want to interview like their fertility doctors and say, nope, hopeless. This guy's never going to have a kid. And then see where it goes. Now this is one of their more remarkable patients. Category one, morphology, the sperm shape. This patient, before treatment, zero percent of the sperm were shaped properly. Three months in, ninety percent of them are shaped properly. Five months in, dropped to forty. You might ask, why would it go up and down? This patient flew on an airplane in the middle of this radiation. There's all kinds of lifestyle factors that affect sperm. So I asked that question. He's so like, yeah, he was doing some traveling. Again, this is only five months after therapy. Motility, their ability to move, zero. Again, three years, failed fertility. Three years of testing, zero before treatment. One month in, still zero. Huge jump, five months, huge jump again. Sperm count, obviously, same thing. Zero, so pretty significant. That being said, 4.8, 1.6 is still low. You have to be over 15 per milliliter to be considered fertile, so he's still low. But this patient got his partner pregnant. The old-fashioned way, not like in the lab, and the artificial thing to help it along, got her pregnant. Unfortunately, as the study is ongoing, miscarriage, like so many unfortunate uh, pregnancies, they're gonna still try. But this, again, the study is ongoing. Here's just another patient you can see, um, after three years of failed um, infertility treatments, before treatment, on up to the 12-month mark, you can see the steady increase just go right on up. If you know somebody that's a male that's infertile, you know a doctor, whoever, I'm just saying, like my Brzezinski movie, if somebody decides to go, I would love to follow you I would love to follow them. I would love to prove you're infertile, and I'd like to this is a huge challenge. I can't think of anything more challenging as a movie. Probably going to take me three years to, at least to complete this. Uh, because they have like a roughly 30 percent cure rate so far, I need to follow six or seven guys minimum, Americans I'd like to be. And I want to follow them until they have a child. And I can't think of anything more poetic than these fetal material that, this fetal material that's thrown away and unwanted, people might argue, you know? It's life that's given up. That's giving life to someone else. One thing I wanted to say earlier that I don't know if I said was about the moral versus moral issue is, you know, what is more immoral really? Whether you agree with abortion or disagree, you're not going to stop it. It's like, I might hate guns, I'm not going to stop guns from being here. It's there. Abortion's going to be here. Might be more abortions tomorrow than there were today. Same with guns. So unlike guns, why not, what's more immoral? throwing them in the garbage, or taking this very valuable material and letting scientists that know what they're doing harvest that and help other humans. That's all, just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not quite done yet. So if you want to email me uh, and I'll be around, hanging around, you can take a picture of that, whatever. By the way, I love answering emails. As I said, only 1,000 patients a year this clinic gets. Before my movie came along, they might have treated five Americans. Like, no one has heard of this. So it is not a bother for me to maybe place you in touch with another. Let's say you have a child with autism. I want to speak to another parent. Here you go. I'm happy to do it. Um, It's not a bother. Email me, because I don't really get that many emails about this, honestly. I'm happy. I'm excited if I get anybody contacting me about this. Now, what I'm about to show you I wasn't going to do, but I have to do it. I wouldn't do my duty as a journalist. And sort of like the guy that exposes sort of wrongdoings in the space, it's one thing to go after big pharma. It's one thing to talk about how corrupt the FDA is and talk about what a mess we're up against with these market forces that do not like innovative therapies like this to be pushed forward. But there's some bad actors in the space that give this a bad name. And I know this, this little section I'm calling research. We all think we're research geniuses. We got Google, right? I did my research. I went to Google. I learned about it right there. Well, there are some bad actors in this space. And like the patients I saw, I know this for firsthand because I spent two years with a fetal stem cell company following them before I finally convinced stem cell to let me talk about them or, or document them. It's a company in California. They treat in Tijuana. This is their website. I want you to take a look at this. Stem Cell of America. Looks official, right? Breakthrough stem cell treatment. Looks official. Look at those fancy photographs. Scroll down on the page. Now, you just heard me talk for how long? I have no idea how long I'm up here about fetal stem cells being done in the Ukraine for 30 years? You scroll down on this page, look what it says. Notably, Stem Cell of America is the only treatment program using fetal stem cells. How could that be? How could that be? How could their website, Stem Cell of America, say such a thing? What would you call that? What would be the definition of that, knowing what you now know? Yeah, so you got that. Now look at these fancy photographs. I just had to do this, you guys, and I'll tell you why I had to do it. Look at this, the top photograph is a stock photo. Now, if you were gonna spend a bunch of money and go to some stem cell clinic, wouldn't you, with people looking at microscopes, wouldn't you hope that those are their employees? Not at all, that's a stock photograph. And guess what, some Asian biotech company is using the same one. You look at their treatment, safety, results. The top three are from Stem Cell of America. The one on the left is a copyrighted image from uh, published in European biotech from Nova Nordisk. The one in the middle safety. That came from uh, some article in Popular Science about stem cells working for racehorses. And then the one on the right results is another stock photo I found in another veterinarian publication. The one on the left, this is their mission, right? You see a kind doctor talking to a patient. That was stolen from a book cover about doctors talking to patients. The picture in the middle is a clinic, quote unquote. That's the one in Tijuana, but it's just an office they rent out once a month to do it. This is also on their website, Research. We operate our own stem cell laboratories and research centers. Our top-notch scientists continuously translate advances in stem cell science into innovative new treatments. Uh, two years I spent. Not one lab, not two labs, not one. There's no research centers, especially not plural research centers. But those pictures, those are real. But guess what? Those pictures were taken at MCell in the 1990s when the guy on the bottom left was there learning from it before he stole it from him. And I know this, this is those pictures because I have them in my possession. There they are. There he is. This is what happens. This guy was a popular TV doctor, kind of like the Dr. Oz of his time. Found out about these guys, went to the Ukraine before they were anybody. Wowed them, ooh, them. They got excited. Ooh, big, powerful American doctor TV personality. He's going to bring us to the fame. And by the way, this guy was, you know, he was, this is in the 90s. He was interviewing Jones, uh, Joan Rivers. He's been on Geraldo. You know, people can easily find out who this guy is. He made good friends with the inventors, got close to them signed contracts with them, even though American law, Europe, Ukraine law, you're never going to fight that out in court, but you know, they thought they were going to work together. Took what he learned and left. Never saw or heard from him again. Opened up Stem of America. He, at one time, in the 90s, when he had good stuff, was doing great. And that's why I was attracted to it, because I found and met all these people that did great. Stem of America did great work. Why? Because they had good sales for a long time, and all I can all I can speculate, I'll emphasize speculate, is they ran out and they have no way to get more. Why? Because Mcell is the only place on earth that does it. <laughs> Think they're going to give it to them? They're not going to give it to them. So I don't know. All I know is, is when I started this project, I met all these people that had been there doing great. I met the doctors and I got their medical results. But in the two years, I went to Tijuana 12 times following these people and this company. And I didn't see anybody get better. Like, what is going on? Like, what is, you know, where is this miraculous discovery? And again, I could, a whole other hour could go on in this journey that took me here over five years to get to MSL and finally create okay, this what it was. But in my movie, I cover them. I don't say what I'm saying to you today. I was very kind, but I'm not going to be kind anymore. Because what they've done, really, just like a week or two ago, they've taken a different version of my movie, and they're sending it to people that email them as if I made the movie only about them, to just conveniently exclude MCell. I've had to make multiple copyright complaints against this company. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stand on this stage today, and not only tell everybody for the first time about this therapy, but I'm going to call this company out. They need to be called out. I'm a journalist. I'm, I expose things. I do films. I, I had to do this. So there you go. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen now? But all right. So this is MSL today. This convenient little building. Been around for a while. Like I said, they were in a one-room hospital in Kiev, and they slowly graduated to become bigger and bigger, expanding their science and become what they are. They're a pretty top-notch operation, seven or eight doctors there. They also have PhDs in fetal stem cell therapy. These are the world's pioneers and professionals in fetal stem cells. And they're just mainstream doctors. These are as mainstream as you guys can get for doctors. But this is mainstream to them. They don't know, this is, it's legal there, it's been legal. And again, I can't emphasize enough, it's not legal in China, Germany, India, nor Tijuana. It's not legal anywhere except Ukraine. But at least you have the ability, if you have the means, to get on a plane and go there if you're ex- invited as a patient. Now are you ready for this? First time, it took me a little while to convince them to let me show you this. You look at that clinic. Been around for a long, long time. Look at this. Boom. This is what they're doing. This is a massive, four-story, brand-new, state-of-the-art facility to give you an idea of how they're expanding. This is also in Kiev, Ukraine. To give you one up, the top floor is their lab. Their lab is going to be to FDA code. No different than any other biotech company, say, in Germany or whatever, that has a drug, say, in America. They need to have, first, the the lab to be up to FDA code. The FDA says, yep, lab looks good. Let's do the clinical trials over here. There's consultants you can hire, like any biotech company would, to get your lab up to code. So just because they can, they're going to do that. So that's a big leap forward. They're also going to have an observatory where you can uh, sort of, so as a patient, you can see into the lab. Enough people have said, I want to see your lab, including me. Um, and they're going to finally do that. They're going to have multiple panes of glass. One of the biggest reasons they don't want people in the lab is sterility reasons. As you can imagine, you don't want any um, you know, um, contamination. So what I'm trying to say is not only is it a really revolutionary technology, but they're expanding greatly. The thing is, most Americans never heard of this. I watched like a whole like nine-part series recently on stem cells. Not one episode had fetal in it. It didn't even bring it up. There, there I am at the bottom uh, the gray shirt with my little GoPro in my hand. So that being said, I want to talk about something i was allowed to talk about too. I said the lab, this is kind of fun because it brings us back full circle to the Axelrod story. You have somebody like Brzezinski as a, a treatment for cancer, not a magic bullet cure, you have, which can basically take down a $4 trillion industry. I just said they're going to have a FDA up to code, FDA standard lab done. They're, after all, they're building it from the ground up. Might as well make an FDA lab that, that, that they approve of, right? There might be, maybe, at least the process will be filed a phase one study in the United States using m cells technology for people waiting in line for a heart transplant, pull them out of line, give them the cells. So it's funny, you think about this, anybody knows about the FDA? The FDA is like, hmm, where are your animal studies? Like, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years, We're not doing any more animal studies. They go, oh, we gotta open up the chest, stick the cells in the heart. No, you don't. Put them right here, put them right here. So you can imagine what they're up against. You got abortion, you got people that don't understand this at all. So what I'm saying is, while I think we shouldn't hold our breath, so I'm gonna give you an idea of how hard and they've been pushing this, that you guys never heard of this. Will it ever be approved, or, or excuse me, even a trial allowed in the US? Can you imagine the number one cause of death, heart disease? and these guys swoop in, everything's paid for, no need to raise money, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for the trials. And you have people being yanked out of line waiting for a heart transplant, going back to their lives because some cells were put in their arm, you're talking about a real major crash of metal, if you would, if that takes place. For me as a journalist, it's exciting because, Brzezinski's story for me was exciting because I got on the front lines of like the FDA coming after him and the Texas Medical Board coming after him. I went down to the court trials and. But to be a, a journalist on the front, on a front row seat to watch the FDA scramble, when you're gonna bring the, basically an you know, alternative to heart surgery to the US, it's gonna be a fascinating experience to see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens at all. But it, the thing is, these guys are smart. They know what they're up against. They don't need American approval. They're fine. They're perfectly happy where they are. They'd love to move to another country. If anybody would make it legal, they would love that. They would love to squeeze right in. But as you know, to you go through the approval process in any country? You're talking about decades. Just for, say, Parkinson's. OK, we got that, thing now let's go hard it's another two decades of two clinical trials. They're already doing it. So at least know that you have the means to get on a plane and go there. You can do it. So I've kind of stopped being an activist. I stopped getting frustrated with the system. I'm going to change it. Oh, when people see this, it's going to change things. Nah, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. It's really unfortunate. But what I focus on is letting people know what's out there and you know how to seek it, how to find it, and try to get to the bottom of the truth of what's out there is what my job is. Um, so again, just like I showed you, two different fetal stem cell places, one significantly OK, one not quite so much. But anyhow, this is me. There's my email again. There's the website for the movie. I even made a, movie, a website called mcellexperience.com, where I just put up like, my favorite restaurants to go, my checklist, just to kind of save a little time. The fact that I'm the only guy on earth that's covering this, it's an honor. It's an absolute honor to be able to be this close to these very ingenious people that are doing this work. So, Yes, sir? Uh,
1: what impact uh,
0: does it have on cancer? Cancer? Yeah, yeah the, ca- the question was does it, how does it work with cancer? They don't generally treat cancer because uh, it's just not what they're they, because a tumor is this thing that's this rogue cell that's growing in your body. Their goal of this is regeneration, pushing back degenerative problems. It's just, they don't, I mean, they've done a lot of work with people that have gone through chemo and radiation and dealt with that and have had their bodies highly injured from that. And people would get fetal stem cells to repair the bone marrow from the chemo, repair like the gums, all the stuff that goes on with chemo and radiation. So no, I mean, they don't treat people with active cancer. Yeah. Wait for the mic. Yeah, does this? The question was, does it boost the immune system? Yeah, I'm not sure if you were you here the whole talk or did you just squeeze it? Okay. No, because, especially because you're getting the liver fetal cells, which are the building blocks of your whole immune system, like your bone marrow, your blood circulatory system. Um, they're, they, yeah, they're just wonders for immune system. Okay, I'm glad you asked this. Um, it was about a couple of months after my second therapy. I walked around for three weeks nearly a month with a sore throat. I felt fine, no fever, no body aches, nothing. And I was just, I was just a busy, busy dude. I'm like, this got this sore throat, won't go away. And as all this time goes by, just being so much on my plate at all times, I finally went, I'm gonna go to urgent care to see what the heck's going on. They swabbed my throat, like, dude, you have strep. So I'm walking around for nearly a month with strep throat, didn't know it. And all I can attribute that is, is to the cells. That's all I can, I have no idea, there's no explanation. I've had strep plenty of times, that is miserable. I just had this irritation for a month. I took an antibiotic, knocked it out. So yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything better for the immune system personally. Yes. Oh, oh. thank you. So if it's doing um, these good things for
1: mitigating the after effects of chemoradiation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if, if it, you...
0: No, I'm getting to the question. Then if it's boosting the immune, couldn't it really supercharge the immune to prevent recurrence? because cancer cells you know, continue to live in this. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to dare say that this is an anti-cancer therapy, oh. but if you just gotta kind of lose common sense, I mean, you're, you're taking the inflammatory way down. You're pushing all inflammation down. A lot of cancers from over inflammation. Smokers, inflamed lungs, boom, tumors. So you're pushing all that down, and you're also boosting the immune system. So, I mean, I did have a long conversation with them about this. There's no data. But they said, you know, of the many thousands of patients they've treated, they've heard of almost no one getting it. And which is interesting, because if you look at a population, again, small population, compared to the population of any other population, in America, I got a 50% chance of getting cancer as a man, you know? Um, So you look at that population versus their population, again, small, not a good study group. But I'm saying almost nobody has had it. So maybe, you know, yeah. Okay. And do they treat patients that are on dialysis? OK, great question. You now, I meant to say this before I had the Q&A open. The cost, I can't tell you this because it's personalized medicine, it's, I can't give you a cost. It's the same with Brzezinski. One cancer patient costs this. Another cancer patient costs that. It's all over the place. I'm so sorry. Dialysis, unfortunately, I have not seen them allow a dialysis patient to the clinic. There is no age limit, no. I've never, I'm never. i not aware of, a, of like a newborn being treated. I don't know about that. But as far as age, but no, they've treated very old to extremely young. Again, I don't know about newborns, but, but yeah, it's, uh, dialysis is something, I'll get to you, man, I promise. Um, because the new clinic, maybe, this is, these are the kind of things they're hoping to do in the new clinic. Um, yeah, it's the best I can answer that. Yeah. This, man, this woman in the back, I'm sorry, I'll get to you next. Yes? In listening,
1: in listening to you um, tell about the different stories and the benefits that different people had, um, you mentioned a wide variety of um, health problems. On One of the things that I personally didn't hear, I don't know if you mentioned it when I wasn't, but one of the things that you mentioned in the way of health problems was cerebral palsy. And I found that to be a little bit different. So I'm wondering, and I would like to hear um, if you've had any experience, you know of stories of people with cerebral palsy and what was the success rate or the results of that as well.
0: Sure. If you want to email me or I can put you in touch with them, they will give you their stats on that. They always tell you, this is what we've done with this, if somebody has an interest in a particular ailment. And um, who knows? I mean, maybe they can help you get in touch with somebody, maybe. That's not really what they do. Um, but yeah, I wish I could answer that question better for you. But I do know that they do treat it.
1: First of all, thank you very much for all your movies. It's amazing. And I thank would you. like to ask, if any side effect were
0: noticed. Great, thank you. There's no side effects. I know it sounds nuts. How can you have a treatment with no side effects? Honestly, what I say is the only side effect is you spend the money and nothing happens.
1: You, um, you, you came off with 87, 83%, 89%, 82% and then there was your father. Can you imagine, can you imagine where those results would go to, can you imagine what would happen with those metrics if you cleaned up their nutrition, including your father? Oh,
0: no question. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. Off
1: the charge.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more, absolutely. Um, Yes, ma'am. Okay. Sorry, I have run over my time. Do I take one more question or, okay, yes, you ma'am. So
1: I know treatment is individualized, but well, what sort of lifestyle modifications do they recommend, if they recommend
0: it? Um, not much, I mean, they want you to, like, as he said, they want you to just eat well, sleep well. They, the only thing I would say is, because you're traveling a long way, kind of hang out in the city for a couple days. Don't just jump on a big bacteria virus-ridden airplane, you know, right after the therapy. But they just want you to just take care of yourself, you know. Like if you have diabetes, just stick with that good diabetes diet. There's no real specific lifestyle, you know, other than just the obvious common sense stuff. So, I'm happy to talk to anybody, hang out. I know that we have to get me off the stage, but I'm not going anywhere.
1: It's more of a comment than a question.
0: I actually know somebody who's been to MSL. Oh, for cerebral palsy. Oh. Um, he was born with a, a medical birthing defect it was a defect from the doctor okay and he's been going um, he started going every year since he was about five I believe wow
1: he's now 26 years old he goes every three years now and they told him he would never walk and if you could you could find him on he, there's videos on him he's if That's you ever have Instagram it's called at Sam runs okay um, he lifts weights he does Tai Chi he is in professional bodybuilding competitions. Wow. And he's been to this m in Ukraine.
0: This is why I do this, because i hearing so. stories like this. This is awesome. And that was probably before I even knew about this, he's been going there so Yeah, long. he's That's 20, fantastic. 20-some-odd years Please, he's let's stay in touch. Email me let's, I want to meet this guy and talk I'll to him. I'll show you his Great. Instagram. Great, All right. All right, I've got it. I'll, I'll hang out. I'll talk to you individually. Thank you very much. Thank you. As I stated in the lecture, For the sequel to The God Cells, I am actively looking for men who are currently trying to conceive that are deemed completely infertile. If you are a candidate or know someone who is, who would also like to give this therapy a try, I would love to document you for my upcoming sequel. Email me at eric at ericmarola.com. If you enjoyed this lecture and wish to be informed of new developments of this ongoing project go to stemcellsmovie.com and sign up to the mailing list. I'll see you next time on episode four of the God Cells Podcast. I'm Eric Marola. Thank you for listening.